everybody, Eric Renier here with Philip J. Fournier for this episode of The Numbers. Philip, how, how's, how's the last week been for you? Good morning, Eric. It's good to talk to you as always. Uh, I don't know, uh, kind of busy, but also very gray. I mean, a month yeah. from now, it'll be spring. Uh, and uh, I don't like winter that much. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't ski anymore. I like the snow. Well, I, I kind of like it but in december and then in mid-february mm. i'm just sick of it I, just, I don't know it's 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 great but spring is just over the horizon and now because of co- also because of global warming spring comes early so there's <laughs> at least a silver lining right there i mean the the mm. the, the, the wildfires have started in canada so uh um, there you go there you go it's, that's not it's that's the not, traditional that's not good, start though. of the wildfires oh okay. god yeah okay well uh <laughs> If the wild, okay, how about we take a more positive approach? Spring is blooming, or it could bloom. And if you're a new Democrat, maybe mm. you're thinking that the the flowers are coming up orange for you. Uh, I we don't have a lot of numbers at the federal level to talk about this week. Uh, yeah. There is only the Nanos poll that comes out every week. It's it's the four week rolling poll. Yeah, but uh, Nanos in its. Uh, Little write up of it. It only it put out just top lines. They keep the regional numbers paywalled, so we'll 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 do that too for the most part. But it had forty one percent for the conservatives, twenty four percent for the liberals, twenty two percent for the NDP, and said the NDP and the liberals are within yeah. the margin of error of each other. This is actually gonna be a little bit of a theme for this podcast. It's this race for second place among various people. So mm. is there a race for second place? federally well that's the thing if if we look at the polls of i mean polls fluctuate and that's normal i will not chastise any pollster if their numbers go up and down a little bit because that's entirely normal it's also a a healthy sign statistics works like that when you have a pollster that's too consistent yeah something's happening here Mm -hmm. but if you look at the the past uh like two months of federal polling if we remove nanos research just Take Nanos Research out. 18, 20, 16, 20, 20, 20, and 18. So to have 22 is fine. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's not outrageous. I think the, the, it, it reaches a point where it catches the eye when you have the NDP and the Liberals so close to each other. Uh, but... In terms of seats, I don't know. The NDP is strong also where the conservatives are strong. The NDP doesn't have the strongholds that the liberals do, even though the liberals are down in the polls. They've been down for six, seven months now. So Mm -hmm. right now there's no race in terms of seat. There could be, but it's far too early to, to tell, right? Um, my average has the NDP at 19%, uh, which is, again, within range of what Nanos has. Uh, but uh, what do you think? I mean, do, do, do you see a, a real race for second place with the numbers that we have now? Not really. Uh, we did see a poll from, it was again from Nanos, I think, although we might have also seen one from Abacus now that I'm thinking about it, where we've had the NDP and the Liberals within a point or two. So this isn't the first time. And if you remember also the uh, over-under contest we did, one yeah. of the ones that I did was whether we'll get two pollsters that have the NDP ahead of the Liberals. Hasn't happened yet. Nope. Nope. 
And for, you know, early January, it seemed like the liberals were getting back up to 25, 26, 27, where it seemed very unlikely that the NDP would be able to catch it, even in a poll, and even if it was only because of like a fluctuation in the margin of error. Yeah. But now that the liberals are back down to the 24, you are going to have a couple polls, I think, where the NDP is going to be in spitting distance of the liberals. But if there is an actual race for second... Nationally, I don't think so, because I think that for the NDP to get to the numbers where they pass the liberals, yeah, the liberals got to be really low and the NDP starts to have to get new numbers that they haven't seen before. But if we're looking at this regionally, I think there is certainly a race for second, sometimes in Ontario, maybe a little bit more. Hmm. Uh, and out west, there isn't oh, a race yeah. for second. There, no, the, the NDP second. is yeah. in second, right? <laughs> so it all depends on what you're looking at. Uh, so I think that'll be something to watch, especially over the next little while. If we continue to see numbers like this and we have a poll again, primarily because of the fluctuations in the margin of error and the sampling and and it's a completely normal thing. But if we start to see polls where the NDP is at 22 or 23 and the liberals are at 21, 22, does that suddenly change the narrative, and then you have the bandwagon effect that the NDP is always hoping to get, that if they get ahead of the liberals, then all the liberals will get behind them to block the conservatives. That would be the thing I would be worried about if if I was a, a liberal strategist, that while I don't yeah. actually think the NDP is, is really chasing me for second, that if it gets into the public mind that the NDP is now second, then the there could be some trouble, I think, for the liberals in that case. We see favorables and unfavorables that are really, really poor for Justin Trudeau. And Jatmeet Singh usually is around the even mark, right? Maybe plus mm-hmm. two or minus one, around the even mark. And yet, NDP surpassing the Liberals has not happened. So, you know, many, many Canadians really dislike Justin Trudeau and are lukewarm at best for Jackmeet Singh. And that number had, I mean, un- unless when I see numbers that are shooting up like Jack Layton did uh, a decade ago, the NDP is not overtaking the Liberals for second place nationally. You, you said, well, first, you said two things. Uh, you said spitting distance. Is that a real thing? Is that a real saying? Okay, that's yeah. disgusting. That's disgusting. But okay, sure. But <laughs> you mentioned abacus data. They're close have- enough that you can spit on them. That's, <laughs> that's, what, the, that's, that's what it gross. means. <laughs> Post-COVID, Ang- Anglophones are gross. What do you want me to say? <laughs> it maybe comes from like, uh, you know, when you would have like spittoons in the, in the frontier towns or something. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, but you mentioned Abacus Data. I have the, all the numbers. And Abacus Data has been polling a lot in the past, what, yeah. eight months? Uh, like every two weeks, sometimes even uh, more Yeah, they've become, that. I think, the, the, the most active pollster after, I guess, well, Nanos. Who, well, Nanos does have a lot of other polls. They do a lot of issue polling yeah, for the Globe and CTV, and they usually have like one or two a week. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of voting intentions, yeah, Abacus seems to be the one uh, polling the most right now. So, okay, so I see that the... I'll, I'll read to you Liberal and NDP from Abacus, okay? So 2418, 2520. 2418, 2719, 2319, 2420, 25. So I don't see a, a gap mm. smaller than four points. You could say four points is within the margin of error, but not when it's consistently four points on the same side, right? Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Leger hasn't seen the NDP uh, within spitting distance uh, of, of the Liberals either. So... It's fluctuations. I'll, 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 I need more data to, to say that there's a danger. Also, again, we mentioned this before. 
half the NDP caucus right now is in BC. The numbers in BC are not that great for the, the NDP. They're, they're, they're polling above the Liberals, but the Conservatives have been polling somewhere between 40 and 50% in BC. So yeah. the NDP would lose a chunk of that. And then they would have to come. I mean, they're not winning more in Alberta. They're not, they may be, with the new map, they may win one or two in Saskatchewan, right? Uh, they'll have their, uh, their two or three in Manitoba. Uh, can they win in Ontario? Uh, maybe. They can take up point. some liberal spots in, in Toronto. In a f uh, yeah, in a few of them, but, that, that, that's, but not a dozen, though. Uh, they're not winning anything in Quebec. I mean, I, I know I've seen some, uh, <laughs> some mapping of individual polls that have the NDP winning multiple seats in Quebec. I, 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 yeah. I live here. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I, I don't see it. Could they win Halifax maybe in the Maritimes or take back St. John's East? St. John East? Maybe, but you're not. If you lose half your caucus in BC, it will be very hard to compensate that. So, net gains. I mean, how do you get the NDP to 50 seats or even 45? Not with uh, you numbers. probably need to take something, I think, maybe some sort of hallucinogenic or but uh, <laughs> well, I no, mean, next it's... time I see you, man, I have contacts, <laughs> I, I, I know people in, <laughs> in, in the like for the for the NDP in BC, like they have two seats in the interior, both of them look really you know, they've one in the north, one in the southern uh, interior, those two look pretty tough to hold, and then actually Vancouver Island, right? Which, yeah, provincially is very strong for the NDP and has been federally for the last little while, but in you know, the Harper years. Uh, Vancouver Island had some conservative MPs, right? And yep. you look at a lot of those seats now, pretty much all of the seats outside of Nanaimo and Victoria could become conservative seats on, on the island of Vancouver. And then what you got left is, uh, or Vancouver Island, not the island of Vancouver, but what you have left are NDP in Victoria, the downtown of Vancouver, Burnaby, yeah. places like that, New Westminster. And then, like you said, Toronto, Halifax, maybe, St. John's, maybe couple seats in Montreal. Couple? Maybe they hold on to Ham Hamilton. Well, maybe Laurier-Saint-Marie. Oh, they come can on. take that not one. In but... <clears throat> not in the new map. Not in the new map. You ran maybe down the numbers. Right. You see, That's you know right. that Laurier-Saint-Marie has changed. It has lost a part of Outremont, which was orange, yeah. and is taking old Montreal, which is red. So, yeah. and but anyway, that... he is not winning in Quebec. I'm sorry. It's not Okay. Happening. Well, what, my point being, though, is that <laughs> the caucus that would be left right. would be very downtown urban. Yep. And their seats that they have in northern Ontario, uh, the seats that they have in, in BC that aren't in Vancouver or Victoria in suddenly are conservative. That changes the complexion of the NDP in a way that is probably not good for them in the longer term. So um, that, I think, is a, is a problem for the New Democrats, that while they might not lose that many seats in the aggregate, like net, yeah. Yeah. I, I can still see them winning 20 seats. It's just that they would end up with half of them being new MPs and having lost maybe 10 or so of their current MPs. And if you're a current MP, that sucks for you. So maybe <laughs> yeah. you don't want to go to a campaign. And so you, in the aggregate, you keep the, your caucus about the same size, but you have a massive conservative majority in front of you. So you've lost all your influence or almost all your influence yeah. uh, at the House of Commons. Um, and by the way, just, just to make sure, I know uh, some of our listeners sometimes are wary like, that we sound so definite. I'm not saying it will never happen. But Jack Mead Singh has been there for six years now, 
Is that right? Right? Twenty eighteen. Seven. Well, it's coming on. Well, it'll be seven at the end of the year. Yeah. Okay. Twenty seventeen. Uh, yeah. What have you seen from him that tells you that he could like have a, an orange crush? Not an orange crush, but even getting to twenty seven percent nationally. I, 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 he's never I, really had a moment when he was polling no. that well. Like uh, this is probably the moment that he's been polling the best when you think about it. Well, yeah, twenty percent. Getting twenty percent, he hasn't done much better than that. And as you just said, the NDP caucus would probably remain almost the same in size, maybe a little more, maybe a little less. But the Liberal caucus would be cut in half, and yet you don't reap the benefits of that. That's awful if you're the NDP. And so, I'm not saying it will never happen. We we again we rely on the numbers. We're we're data people, but the data right now is showing that there's no improvement despite the Liberals being in a really bad place. And if you can't overtake the Liberals now, if you're the NDP, when will it happen? Uh, you know, Michael Ignatieff is not coming back. So, and neither hey, is Jack Layton, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> you mean he won't come back for us? Um, oh, man, yeah. he would give good. But like in early 2011, Jack Layton did not seem like he was about to become the official opposition leader. So yeah. you know, but uh, lots of New Democrats will reference that. And while it's true that that happened in 2011, they went yeah. from being in a lot of trouble in early 2011 to really well just a few months later. Yeah. Catching lightning is not something you can plan on happening. That's not the strategy. The strategy would be like, we'll have the once in a century breakthrough again. Uh, you can't plan for that when you have no real indication that it's coming. It's just that, sure, in the realm of anything can happen, which is the laziest form of political mm-hmm. analysis you can have. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's got to be some reason for it. And we're not seeing it right now. I think I've I've told this story before, maybe to you only, but I don't think I mentioned it on a podcast, and I will now. Uh, mm. About uh, earlier this week, we celebrated the 14th, uh, sorry, no, the 16th anniversary of a game that I attended at the Bell Center, a Habs game that I attended. And during that game, in a second period, it was five to nothing for the Rangers. And I turned to my friend, like, you want to get out of here? Let's, let's, go, let's go to a bar downtown. Let's go grab a beer. And my friend said, well, let's wait until the end of the second period, then we'll see. And then the Habs scored twice before the end of the period. And you know what? The Habs came back from down 0-5, and they won in, in, uh, in the shootout 6-5. to It was the greatest comeback the Habs have ever done. That comeback happens once in a century. <laughs> <laughs> so most of the time you're good to leave the arena if you play the you odds if you go by the numbers i could have left that night and grab a beer and yeah i would have said oh my god i can't believe i left the game i didn't because of my friend but that happens once in a century so please new democrats stop taking 2011 as a precedent it was a fluke i know it's a feel-good story and it was a feel-good story it was amazing but also Jack Layton, you remember this, Jack Layton was not pulling away in voting intentions, but in personal numbers, he was really high. He was appreciated by many Canadians. He was the, Can- the, the leader uh, you want to ta- have a beer with. He was the leader, mm-hmm. I think there was a, who, who among the leaders, uh, do you want to be your uh, son's hockey coach or something? I remember right, those polls. Yeah. They were really interesting. And it was Jack Layton across the board. So there was potential there. There's, there's, there's not that with Jack Layton. Uh, so again, if it happens, I'll eat my words. We're, we're people of numbers. If it happens, I'll be wrong, and I'll admit that I'll be wrong. I, I don't feel that I'm wrong right now. And uh, during a campaign, I mean, Jack Meetsing had two campaigns. Did he impress anybody? I don't know. It, it, the numbers don't bear that out. 
All right, let's uh, move on to, I wanted to at least address some of these because they've been news for the last little while, and it feels like we should probably at least talk about them. So in the context of the NDP not passing the Liberals, I mean, Mm. things have been happening for the Liberals that have been kind of rough over the last little while. (laughs) There was the the whole issue with the ArriveCan app, uh, which um, was supposed to cost something like $60,000, $80,000 at first, and then ended up being $60 million. Oops. And there's lots of questions about the, uh, the the contracting firm that was being used. And then there was also the, the controversy, which is, it does seem to be primarily one that was outside of Quebec, with Stephen Gilbeau saying that they weren't going to pay for new road projects and then having to clarify that he meant big projects that don't have, you know, uh, public transport aspects included yeah. in it. Anyway, it got a lot of attention. I'm curious if you think anything of these two kind of a controversy that's happened over a little while and whether they have any impact, especially the Gilbo ones, because yeah. there's been discussion of whether his importance in hmm. Quebec is one of the reasons why he's he's staying on as minister. According to the Léger Barometer that he does twice a year now, uh, half of Quebecers don't know who uh, Gilbo is. So he may be a, a big-time player for the Liberals in Quebec among those who vote for them and among the political nerds like you and I. Uh, among the general population, he's not incredibly well-known. Uh, however, that's, that's beside the point. Uh, I think those two controversies, well, they're very different. One, mm-hmm. I think, is clumsy. And the other one is scandalous. <laughs> the yeah. Arrive Can app. Wait, uh, you're talking about yeah, the roads? Yeah. It's a scandal, isn't it? Right? <laughs> the Arrive Can app. I mean, I, I'm not an expert and I will not pretend to be one. But to have a government app with like a high level of security because it has sensitive data that can be done with less than a million dollars. That's insane. But $60 million? Like, oh, okay. Uh, that's, that's, that's a huge also problem. Yeah. It, it, it could be... It, the problem could not could possibly not be political, but with the civil service, right? We don't know that. Yeah. But, I mean, if it happened under any other government, the government would eat some, uh, some, 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 some uh, criticism. The Gilbo comments did not... I mean, I see the outrage in place of the country, and I understand, but it was more clumsy than anything. Because in Quebec, we're aware of this policy. It's not new. It's, I mean, the, 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 the troisième lien, the third link between Quebec and Lévis, the feds were always crystal clear on this, that they will not fund a, a major project like that, like a major highway, like a bridge or a tunnel, if it doesn't have any component of uh, a public transit. And, uh, you know, the, the various versions of the troisième lien, sometimes they had like a place for a train or a light rail train, uh, but the feds were very clear on that. So it's not new. And one could say those big, massive projects, if you want to build a, a huge bridge to, to link communities, the feds could go, yeah, we will help you, but we want transit in there, <laughs> just, not just cars. I don't see that as being highly controversial. But that's not Gilbo said. Gilbo was clumsy and mm-hmm. maybe it was clear in his head. It was not clear the words that, he, that came out of his mouth. So two things. One with the arrive can. <clears throat> Everything that we know up to now is that it did not um, involve political players. It was a civil servants kind of thing. Um, but I don't know if that really matters. It no. would be worse if it, there was a signature from a minister who then has to resign and, and you know was giving money to his buddies, that kind of thing. Obviously, that would be worse. But 
I think that the government's numbers, their trust numbers are just so low right now that this kind of just gets added to the pile. That's right. It was one of the things that was the problem with Stephen Harper's government in the last couple of years is that each of the little things that happened wasn't enough on its own to defeat the government, but it was the accumulation of all of these things yeah. that start to get added to the pile of uh, you know problems that the government has had. So I think that's really more the danger for the, the liberals right now. But for uh, Gilbaud, the thing I wanted to talk about, though, is the, the notion that um, one of the reasons why this minister who has, you know, stepped in it a few times uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. is kept on, right? So my kind of theory with it, one is that, you know, I don't think the liberals are, have in the past uh, booted that many ministers simply for political reasons. Uh, I guess you could say they did with Marco Mendicino, but, you know, generally they'll stick by their people up to a point, especially if they're seen as kind of on the on the team. Uh, but I agree with you that Stephen Gilbo himself is not super well known. I'd say, though, that 50 percent still knowing any political figure is not bad. Yeah. But um, if there was an environmentalist in Quebec that was well known, it would be him. Right. Because of his history with um, with. Um, and, and other organizations yeah. in the past. Yeah. Demoting Gilbo, I don't think that the, the problem would be for the liberals that he is super popular because in that barometer, that the barometer that Leger does, he had about as the same amount of positives and, and negatives. Yeah. That's right. But I think it would be the symbolism of jettisoning someone who is known to be a climate change kind of champion, environmentalist from the government, largely because of critiques in other parts of the country and that it suggests that the liberals don't care about the environmental file because the environment still polls pretty well in Quebec compared to other issues. Uh, and I think that is the issue, that if the liberals decided to boot uh, Gilbo out of the cabinet, that it would be a signal that the liberals don't actually care about the environment and will sacrifice Quebec on the altar of, you know, Western oil interests, things like that. Uh, that would be the kind of the narrative of it. And I think that would be the risk for the liberals, that they that one of the things that is still keeping them up in Quebec, that one, they have a, a significant representation from Quebec ministers hmm. and are so are kind of a voice of Quebec, and that they are at least doing something on the environmental file. I'm not sure what they would have left if they lost those two things in Quebec. I'll push back on this, though. Because Go ahead. What you I'm, putting are... out, I'm putting out the argument. Yeah, yeah. I'll the conventional back. wisdom, and you, you, you tell me uh, what's right, what's wrong. What you are describing is a government that places optics in front of policy and good governance. Like you, you're saying that they keep Gilbo because it would look bad for a little while. Are you suggesting that the liberals are not overly <gasps> concerned with optics? Well, maybe that's part of the problem, right? <laughs> it's I, I, again, I've. I don't want to do too much editorializing. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll go back to the numbers. I, I, I think if they drop Gilbo, it would be a story for a week. And then we would mm. move on. But, uh, like, again, I mean, the, the, the poll that I mentioned, the Belege barometer, where half of... It was only it was Quebec only. It was... Yeah, not, sure. I, I think that number is far lower in Canada. Maybe now many oh, conservatives across Canada know him. But uh, he's uh, he's been in cabinet since day one 
right? He was uh, he was at uh, a patrimoine first. Uh, yeah, they heritage. didn't put him in environment at first. Yeah, uh, but he's still been in cabinet from day one, and half of his of people in his own province don't know him. I it, I don't know. Uh, they, they, uh, the liberals may be caring too much about optics here, but I the numbers say that he's not a star. He's not a star. Uh, they could get rid of him. It would be a story for a week, but oh well. Hmm. We'll Interesting. see. Interesting. Okay. All right. Well, anyway, some issues the liberals continue to have uh, some problems. Uh, and when you're not doing well in the polls, any issue is, is a bit of a <laughs> – it just adds to it, right? I, th- I think that's enough federal numbers, man. We we okay. should we should go into some – we had some provincial numbers this week that yes. I think are very interesting. Where do you want to start? Well, we'll start with Ontario, uh, right. just because we did have some numbers there. So this was a poll from Palace Data that had 35% support for the progressive conservatives, 32% mm. for the Ontario Liberals, 22% for the NDP, 7% for the Greens. Three-point gap between the PCs and the Liberals. Interesting. My, my base position when it comes to Ontario polling is <laughs> plus or minus five. I... No matter what the margin of error is, like I, I'm not what do you sure. Mean, what do you mean plus or minus for for one party from one poll to all another? of them, all of them. I just uh, I don't find that Ontario election polling between election campaigns is very uh, revelatory. Hmm. I think a lot of people, as you have often commented on this podcast. In Ontario, do not pay that much attention to uh, provincial politics. Yeah, I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it makes me wonder, when we see movement, is it a real thing? Is it uh, influenced by federal? Um, although 32%, the, uh, the federal liberals would love that number. They haven't oh, seen they that would in take Ontario it. in a little while. Yeah. Anyway, what were your comments? What were your thoughts on, on this poll? Well, okay, so... Um, after I've really kind of pooped all over it, but yeah. No, 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 <laughs> It is. I mean, it is interesting because they go a bit outside of what we've been seeing for six years now, right? Yeah. The, the numbers in Ontario have not... I mean, during the pandemic, well, or just before the pandemic, early in the pandemic, Doug Ford's numbers were not that great. Uh, no. And then he went back up and he, he, you know, he kept roughly the same level of support in the 2022 election. Uh, but Palace Data, uh, last time they polled Ontario, it was late September, and they had 33, 27, 27. So 33 for mm. the uh, PCs. So he sees a slight variation within the margin of error. This is a really, uh, this is a real probabilistic poll, right? Uh, random sampling. Uh, the NDP down five points and the Liberals up five points. So yeah. statistically, it is, uh, it is a real movement. Uh, now, is it 30 and not 32? Maybe. Uh, well, I mean, the, the, I think the numbers that we had from uh, Abacus data, it was in January, was 38 for the PCs and 27 for the, um, for the Liberal and then 23 for the NDP. So both pollsters roughly agree on where the Ontario NDP uh, stands. Uh, but again, if we go by the numbers, uh, statistically, Palace sees a five-point hike for the uh, Liberals and diametrically, the NDP goes down five points. That makes sense. <laughs> it kind of makes sense that one party would eat up uh, the support from the other. Um, but well, also, you know, yeah. I said how one of the themes was the race for second. 
Yeah. I think we can say, at least with some confidence, that the race for second in Ontario does seem to be largely over, at least for now, that the Liberals are now the second place party in Ontario because we have seen the NDP stuck in the low 20s for most of the most like the poll that you mentioned where the uh, liberals and the NDP were tied that was that's like the, more of the higher watermark for the NDP yeah. over the last little while so that's right. if the liberals had it as their hope once they had Bonnie Crombie as their leader that they could then move into the position where they were the chief alternative to the Ontario PCs whether or not they're within 3 points I think we can probably say they've done that, that they have become the chief alternative to the PCs uh, rather than the NDP. I agree with you, but I do not have 100% confidence yet because we may hmm. be in the uh, um, very modest but also real honeymoon for the new leader, Bunny Crombie. Uh, sure. this, will be, this will feel more real if it's the case in May or June, then right now, uh, I think this poll was fielded. Uh, it was published right as the, the, the Queen's Park started sitting. So Ontarians had not heard much about their provincial politics in a while. Now we will see how, how if how events change things. Um, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I, I have trouble being confident that the, the Liberals will, uh, will really keep that up i mean we had an over under on the ontario liberals i believe it was 35 percent. right will they get higher than 35 percent? now there are 32 in this one but look at the uh i, I mean if we take out for instance uh, main street research poll that was done hours i mean literally mm. hours after the crombie victory we take that out for a second so liberals 32 27 27 23 that was abacus data in uh, november 25 24 27 it's not that greater than the NDP, mm. but you and I know from the, uh, the, the their their vote efficiency for the Liberals' vote efficiency, it is much greater than uh, the NDP when you surpass the twenty seven percent mark. Yeah, like in the last it. elections, it's, it's they a had both. Point a for them. They, yeah, exactly. They had both twenty four percent. The NDP won official opposition. They were what thirty one seats, I believe, and the Liberals at eight. But if the Liberals go back to 27 or 28%, they, they could easily surpass the NDP because of their vote efficiency. So, this Yeah, there were a be... lot of ridings where they were within you know, 10 points or so of the PCs, right? That's right? So once you have this kind of swing, which would be a swing of, what, plus 8 for the Liberals and pl uh, minus 5 for the PCs, yeah. then you got a lot of seats that can swing. But then kind of push those numbers apart again by two or three points, and then the, the Liberals fall back behind the NDP in seats. So I updated my projection, and uh, you did not tell me this, and we didn't talk because, again, we were both busy this week. You updated your projection for Ontario, <laughs> uh, independently of mine, and mine in independently of yours. And uh, we're close. <laughs> There's so, consensus. So we, I have the PCs at 60 seats, so just below... The threshold for majority. However, I, I I I stressed that the the PC confidence interval got much wider than it than it was in, in mm. months past. That's because of the liberals. The liberals eating slowly into PC support uh, and also taking some NDP support along with uh, along with it 
makes the uncertainty of the, the progressive conservatives much wider. So uh, I have the OLP at official opposition at 35 seats and the NDP at 25, the Greens at three seats. Although the third one, still a, a big if at uh, Paris Sound, uh, Mus- Muskoka, Muskoka. Is, is that how you Muskoka. say Muskoka. Muskoka. Okay, Muskoka, I, say Mus- yeah. I say Muskoka, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Paris and Muskoka, yeah, the Greens were five points away from the PCs, which makes it within range. Mm-hmm. But there was no OLP candidate, right? So we'll we'll see how that goes. Uh, we'll have to adjust there. And uh, yeah. the independent, uh, I, I now forget which writing it was. but uh, do you, uh, do you She's know in Haldeman, Norfolk. Okay, yeah. Uh, I have no reason <clears throat> to think. I, yeah, we have we no local have... data, so we, no. we have to keep her there. So You kind of always have to assume the independents are fine. And yeah, and my numbers were 61 PC, 35 liberals, 24 NDP, 3 greens, 1 independent. So we only had, uh, you had one more seat for the NDP because you're really big on the NDP. <laughs> and I had one more seat for the PCs because I love Doug Ford. So oh, uh, that's how... That's the secret sauce. People don't realize this, but we just when we give extra seats to the parties that we like because we think it matters. So, so clearly, clearly, I'm a pro NDP here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I you stole lot. my line. I mean, Twenty five seats versus twenty four. I mean, come on. Geez. I received Orange a lot Kool-Aid. of uh, angry comments on social media. The saying people. What? Uh, yeah, I know. Social I know. media angry people comments. People are so mean. Now. They they said me, I was really down on the Ontario NDP. And that my analysis was not always sticking to the numbers. To which I respond. Well, I didn't respond because it's social media. Who gives a you know you know what? But um, but I mean, what num what set of numbers are you using to see the NDP potentially taking power in three years at Queens Park? Like, show me those numbers because I I haven't seen them. Like mm. the, the 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 NDP has a good solid base. They don't seem to be able to go beyond that. Like, show me your numbers that that uh, that prove that I'm wrong on this, and I'll listen. I'll I'll be open minded. Show, yep. show us the numbers. Show us the numbers. Show us the. All right. Another race for second. See, I've got a theme here because I already established what my title will be for the wow. podcast. So I want to try to run it through the thread. Uh, for being the leader of the second place party in Alberta, the NDP, uh, has a leadership race coming to an end on June 22nd. Um, so fast, so fast. I love it. Oh, it is. Yeah. So there was a poll that was done by Polera, uh, Dan Arnold, who's a friend of the, the RIT podcast. Uh, so, uh, great guy. He, yes. Um, and he did a poll on people's familiarity with the candidates for the Alberta NDP, um, a lot of people don't know the main candidates, which I think is probably the first takeaway, uh, which isn't a shocker because most people generally don't know anybody beyond <laughs> party leaders and, and and mayors and things like that. So there's three candidates that are official candidates right now. So the Sarah Hoffman, uh, who was a deputy premier in the Notley government, Kathleen Ganley, who was a cabinet minister as well in the Notley government, and Rocky Pancholi, who... Uh, was first elected in 2019, so she never she didn't sit in government with the Alberta NDP. 64% of people had never heard of Pancholi, 58% had never heard of Ganley, 43% had never heard of Hoffman. And if we're just looking at the people who said they know who this is and a few things about them, mm. 23% for Hoffman, 9% for Ganley, 7% for Pancholi. Um, the wild card would be former Calgary Mayor Nahid Nenshi, 
He is well-known. Only 24% of Albertans say they have never heard of him. 51% say they know who he is and a few things about him. It's still not clear if he's going to get in the race or not. I don't find these numbers shocking, and they don't really tell us too much about the race itself because party members are going to decide, not Albertans. But it does show that if it is one of the three contestants that are currently in the race who ends up uh, becoming the leader, they're probably not going to get a big bump. It reminds me of Marit Stiles in, mm-hmm. in, with the Ontario NDP. Somebody who's not very well-known, becomes a leader, no honeymoon. Yeah. Uh, that would be a bit of the risk, I guess, for the New Democrats if they went with one of the three contestants that are currently in the running. Although the fact that there is a race, I mean, let's say Mr. Nenshi doesn't go. Uh, the three others are not very well known. Miss Hoffman is well known, more, more known than others. Better known, yeah. Better known, yeah. Uh, but there will be a race, and the race will be mm-hmm. in the media, and then they will get her some excitement. They will sell cars, which is what Merit Style didn't have, uh, which mm-hmm. I think, I think in hindsight, really hurt her. I mean, like a lot of Ontarians have no idea who she is. Um, but enough about Ontario. Let's talk. I mean, if Mr. Nenshi jumps in, isn't that exactly what the NDP would need, though? Somebody who is not over, has not been, at least in the past, overly partisan. Is you cannot say that he's a socialist. Like I mean, of course they will call him that, but and based in Calgary, isn't that electorally exactly what the NDP needs? Uh, I, I'm not sure. Uh, those who have a lot of baggage with the NDP or history with the NDP, na- naturally those are the people usually that become leaders because they've been the, with the party so long. But they couldn't do it, even with 44% of the vote in the last election. They need something else. They need a boost. Um, and if Mr. Nenshi decides to go, he will be a force to be reckoned with. Um, well, he would give the Alberta NDP immediate kind of credibility. Yeah. Uh, the other three leaders or contestants, if they won, would have the time to build that credibility That's between true. now and the election in 2027. But. I would, ex- I would expect if Nenshi won that the first polls we'd see in late June, early July, the NDP might be leading in, a, in Alberta or be within a couple of points. They would get a bump out of it. Um, and I don't know if that would happen with, a, with a, any of the other three. But whether he's the, like on paper, it would seem like the answer, someone who's won in Calgary, someone who's from Calgary, someone who might not seem too much of a new Democrat, so it might yeah. not be too p- off-putting <laughs> to other um, you know, more centrist voters who didn't vote for the NDP in the last election. But he is, as you said, still, he does have some, that recognition comes with the baggage of his time as mayor. Yeah. Um, he's said a lot of statements in the past. Uh, I'm sure he would stand behind them, but that's a lot more material, I suppose, to go on the attack uh, for the other, um, for the other, uh, for the UCP. But he he at least as a campaigner knows how he's done it before has has led a campaign municipal is not the same as provincial but on paper he would seem to be hmm. uh electorally the best option for the new democrats but in the context of an election campaign debating daniel smith uh all that kind of stuff who knows who actually would turn out to be the best option uh, because the other three are experienced politicians and um, have a lot of kind of talents that they can bring to the bring to the table, which is kind of interesting, right? You have three contestants, all of th- all three of them come with endorsements from MLAs, yeah. um, 
they have some a lot of profile within the party. Like you said, it is going to be a competitive race. You know, like I wouldn't, you couldn't, you wouldn't be shocked if the first ballot was thirty four, thirty two, thirty or something, right? So <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, so yeah, is it a rank? Yeah, is it a rank ballot? Is I didn't follow yeah. this. Uh, yeah, it is. Okay, that's yeah, that's yeah, good. yeah, yeah. So you will need to have that kind of, and it is a one member, one vote kind of thing. Um, no reach. I think they have some limits in terms of of. Some ridings, if I remember correctly, but it's not like what we see with the conservatives or the liberals where it's every riding's equally weighted. So yeah. if you can run up the numbers in Edmonton and Calgary, like that's, you can do that, right? So, um, so anyway, some interesting numbers here, uh, but it does show that there'll be a bit of a climb for the three contestants if it is them once they, whoever would win, to introduce themselves to uh, voters, which comes with risks, but could also come with some upside. The fact also that it's a quick race. I mean, we discussed this yeah. when we talked about the, the Quebec Liberals, and we're not mentioning, we're not, we're not talking about that. We, we don't zip, zip, nothing about the Quebec uh-huh. Liberals. No, 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 we don't. We don't no, 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 <laughs> but the fact that it's a quick race, name recognition falls squarely at the feet of Nahid Nenshi. He's by far the most known, uh, the the highest profile, and he's a I mean he's a proven winner. Unlike hmm. other again Quebec Liberals, you know, no, no, no. but he's but can a proven he winner. sign up members? Can he, can he sign, sign up members? members? Uh, can he turn that name recognition into membership cards? That's he, uh, the big did question. he say? Did Mister Nenshi say? Because I saw some of his uh, interviews in the media and. Uh, I read, I mean, in the newspapers, but he has not announced that he's going on race. He said no, that he was no, thinking no, no. about it, right? Yeah, yeah. He's still but kind of flirting with it. The deadline has to be soon, though. It'll be so. So we'll we'll yeah, know soon. It will not spread over years, right? Again, okay. But no. Anyway, a very interesting. I mean, I, I this this poll from Polara. People reach out to it. It's very well done. Uh, how I, there's a question uh, I see here, page eleven. How would Albertans feel if each candidate won? They had the choice of excited, comfortable, frustrated, angry, and none of these emotions. Uh, I mean, you look at the angry. <laughs> Nenshi has the highest, but it's only eleven percent. Frustrated. Mm. Again, then she has the highest, uh, tied with Hoffman. Again, only 11%. The excited and comfortable, it's uh, um, respectively 17% and 24%. Again, Nahid Nenshi, far, far, far ahead of the competition. If he chooses to join the race, I think it's make, it, makes it, it makes it spicier, for sure. Um, mm-hmm. We'll see. I, I'm very interested to see well, where this will go. Because you have to think of 2027. Daniel Smith proved during the campaign that she can be very disciplined like mm-hmm. we know we remember what the the, the crazy stuff that daniel smells sit on her uh, said on her radio show we and now we know they, they're talking about you know, transgender kids and stuff like that that that's not that's again the culture wars and not what the, the middle of the road people think about every day uh nahin and she could i mean that debate between nancy and smith uh that will be a spicy one, I think. So anyway, we'll see uh, what happens. But I'm very interested to see where it goes. Okay, let's get to some questions. Um, right. Let's, uh, so, of course, uh, if you're a member of our Patreon, you can uh, take part in our Discord. You can put your questions on the Patreon. So we ask for questions from our, our members of our Patreon. And of course you get access to these episodes on Thursdays rather than Fridays and access to our bonus episodes every two weeks. So 
We got a question from uh, Will Dick, who uh, had this on Patreon, and he actually asked this uh, a week ago, but I wanted to save it because we kind of talked about it. And he said, what is the most likely path, however unlikely it may be, for the NDP to overtake the Liberals in seats in the next election? What are your thoughts? My, my thoughts is I will follow the numbers in Ontario. Uh, the Conservatives are ranging somewhere between 40 and 45 right now. The Liberals are between 26 and 30. And the NDP is around 20. If Liberal and NDP switch, if the Liberals go down to, let's say, 19 or 20, and the NDP goes up to 25, that means that downtown Toronto will probably go to the NDP, uh, even though the NDP will suffer losses to the Conservatives elsewhere. So this is where, I mean, I don't see the NDP gaining much in Atlantic Canada or in Quebec. Uh, The Prairies, Manitoba, no. Uh, BC, you know, again, the Conservatives are polling well in BC. So the question is, can they win in Ontario because the Liberals are weaker? Uh, for me, that's the, the path. And for me, the extra path is the Liberals have to collapse in Quebec because, as we said at the beginning, it's hard yeah. to get the NDP yeah. up to 45, 50 seats, which means that the Liberals have to drop below 40, right. 40 35, 30 seats. And if that happens, that probably means they're not doing well in Quebec. So. It, right. The NDP kind of requires the Liberals to do badly in areas where the NDP is not going to do very well. Uh, so it, it's it's not just what the NDP does that gets them ahead of the Liberals in the seat count. But yeah, it, it's hard to see it because you need to get the NDP up to a high enough number that the Liberals can fall behind. Yeah, and it's just it's just hard to do that. I will stick with the NDP. Pierre Olivier on Discord he asked, and this maybe you can just answer this. I won't say the name. <laughs> He said, would this election be the time for Thomas Mulcair to make a, a politician we shall not name <clears throat> himself and come back to the NDP to argue with Poilyev? Uh, I, you know, here, here's my one, one comment on this. Okay, go ahead. Do we, do we remember what Tom Mulcair said about Pierre Poilyev in the conservative leadership race? Uh, yeah. Jean Charest yeah. would clean would... up the floor with him. Yep, he said that. So... Um... I'm not sure if 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 Tom Mulcair um, correctly gauged the uh, gauges the, uh, yeah. the efficacy of Pierre Poilievre. I think I think Monsieur Mulcair was thinking of the Jean Charest 15 years ago when he was. I mean, I think I st- I still think that Jean Charest was pretty good in the debates. It's just that oh, he, he was actually ta- was. He, yeah, he really it was. It's just it didn't matter because he was talking mm-hmm. to the wrong crowd. The party that Jean yeah. Charest used to lead uh, doesn't exist anymore. So, uh, I mean, Jean Charest got crushed. Does, doesn't mean he was necessarily bad. He was just talking to the wrong crowd. But yeah, Mal- Malcair was yeah was completely uh, you no. Know. But okay, yeah. so uh, Monsieur Malcair, uh, some, I, I sometimes I pass him. He, he does uh, some freelance work for CTV. Does analysis for CTV, and I I do too. Um, and uh, every time I see him, hey Monsieur Malcair, comment allez-vous? And we we talk a little bit. He's a super nice guy. Um, uh, he's not going back to politics. No. Ever. He's done. And the NDP done. kind of got rid of him. So they I'm not got sure rid of him. So even him. if they uh, yeah. begged for him to come back, he's happy now. I mean, he's beyond mm. politics. It's over. Uh, it, it, I think he would have been great to see Mulcair in the 19 election. It would have been great if the, the NDP kept him around. Because mm, I, that I think, been interesting, yeah. but yeah, uh, so for several reasons that we won't get into now, but uh, Mulcair was a great uh, parliamentarian. I mean, he was great in the House of Commons. He was not so great in the campaign. 
uh, and uh, the NDP turfed him. So it's not happening. So Pierre Olivier, this is a good question, but it's too much of a hypothetical. Monsieur Moncler is not coming back. He's, he's happy now. So when you get out of mm-hmm. politics after a long, long time, was in politics in for what, 25 years, early 90s to, uh, to 2017 or 20. So, yeah, so he's done. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, why don't you read uh, the question? I think I have it highlighted. Okay, so uh, Robert on the Patreon asked us, what are each of the political parties' percentage of revenues that come from donations versus percentage from government electoral expenses and reimbursement? Uh, and in the case of the Bloc, where you have a party that supports the independence of Quebec and the breakup of Canada, would be interesting to know what part of their funding is coming from the public purse, the Canadian public purse. And so, Eric... Uh, that's a great question from uh, Robert, uh, Robert. Uh, thank you. And uh, I think Eric used research for this, uh, for this yes. answer. Go ahead. So how it works is that the vo- per vote subsidy was uh, the last, I think they got rid of it. Maybe it was in 2015. That was the last time it ran out. But anyway, um, if a party reaches at least 2% of the vote nationally, they get, if I'm not mistaken, 50 or 60% of their election, re- uh, election expenses reimbursed. If a candidate gets 10 or 15%, I can't I remember it's, what the... I think it's 15. I think it's 15. Yes, 15. They get 50 or 60% of their uh, expenses reimbursed. So I'm not really sure why. That, that doesn't make much sense to me. It never did. But if you spend a lot of money and you get support, you get a lot of the money back. That's the, the, the way it works. <laughs> wow. So I, I went and looked at the last two years, because this is the um, annual reports. This is where this information is available. And it depends on the year, because... If it's away from an election, you don't get any reimbursement. So in 2022, uh, the Conservatives and the Bloc had 100% of their revenues coming from donations, membership signups, that kind of thing. The Liberals and the NDP had 98% and 97% because I think they would have had just some last checks they signed or cashed. Okay. But okay. in a non-election year, the reimbursements generally just they don't come in, so they don't make up any portion of revenues. But in 2021, when they did get their reimbursements in, it's a lot. So for the Conservatives, 46% of all the revenues they had in 2021 came from the electoral rebates, the reimbursement. For the Bloc, it was 48%. For the Liberals, it was 53%. And for the NDP, it was 58%. So if you amortize that over the course of a four-year election cycle, then it means that, you know, what, roughly 10 to 15 Percent yeah. of a party's yearly revenues are coming from the election rebates and the election reimbursements. And we should also point out that if you donate to a political party, you get a tax rebate. Uh, the last time I checked it, it was a few years ago, that costs the Treasury something like 20 to $30 million a year. Uh, and that's spread out across the parties. So a lot of the revenues that parties get are subsidized by taxpayers, even if we don't have the taxpayer subsidy uh, the per vote subsidy there anymore. They get it back in the rebates. And as you can see, it can be a lot and they get it indirectly through the tax rebates that uh, donors um, get from the government. So there you go. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, let's talk about British Columbia real quick. I have a quiz for you, by the way, but we have a few more questions that are pretty good. So uh, in a scenario, Sammy asked on the discord, hi, Sammy, uh, in a scenario where BC United and the BC Conservatives form an electoral pact, which doesn't seem likely in a short term, but OK, no. do you think that the BC NDP would still manage to get a super majority of seats? And what about if BCU and BC Conservatives merge? Um, mm, well, again, I think the first, first thing we yeah. should say is not going to happen. What, there was a tweet. It was Rob Shaw who put it out. Yeah. 
Yeah. And apparently the Conservatives reached out to the BC United in December and said, hey, do you want to talk about some, you know, alliance, merging, whatever? And the only response they get was, was F off. And uh, I won't swear because really? I have to turn on the extremities or I extreme language uh, thing. I didn't that. See was that. the response. An email wow. response was F off. Or fuddle off, fuddle duddle off, maybe. Like That's the the, the animal, uh, the northern animal, the seal, right? In French? Okay. Yes. Okay, yes. that word. Really? Okay, that, well, so that's kind of rude. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. So you could anyway, say no thank they, you. <laughs> if they decided to get together, uh, then, I mean, I think the easy answer is assuming that those people would all stick with them, then you'd be back yeah. to a traditional kind of thing. Because the NDP has been in the mid-40s from yep. in most of the polls. That's right. And so if you add the conservative and the BC United vote, you also get somewhere around high 30s, low 40s. So you would be you would have a two and a half party system like you have you, you do in other places. Uh, mm-hmm. The in thing 2017 is, and in 2013 to, yeah. to to reach the point where two parties, even though they dislike each other, make a pack or decide to merge, you need pain. <laughs> you yeah. need to go through the desert and at some point realize, okay, maybe it's the best course of action. I mean, we said that in the late 90s. Why don't the progressive conservatives and the reform just merge? It is like they hated each other. It's like, no, 1997 happened. No, 2000 happened. It's like, okay, well, yeah. I guess at some point we'll have to consider it, right? So there hasn't been any pain because the conservatives just jumped up. The, the liberals slash united have not suffered the great defeat yet that we expect him to have. After that happens, perhaps they'll start talking to each other, but it's not happening right now. You need more pain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fall <Fun love. laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah, we have another uh, question for an election coming up this year. Uh, yeah. Brunswick, Ali Gersoy on the Discord. He said, given the polarization alongside uh, linguistic fault lines in New Brunswick, how can the New Brunswick Liberals break into Anglophone seats? Is it possible for Higgs to maintain a PC majority without winning any Francophone seats? The answer, I'll answer just the second part. He did it last time. Yep. didn't really have any Francophone seats, so nope. he can afford to lose even the ones that have minority Francophone, like large minorities in the Moncton area. So... Um, he he can you can win with just the anglophone vote in New Brunswick, but it's it's still you have to you have to sweep. Though. You got to thread the needle, yeah. You gotta because uh, the the majority threshold is twenty five, and Higgs won twenty seven. It's not like he has any uh, comfort zone, right? There's no so. Uh, I mean, the, I think the Liberals will go back to power eventually in New Brunswick because they always do. Uh, it's just that the linguistic, I mean, the linguistic divide is not new, right? It's, it's been there no. for hundred years. Yeah. Okay. I wasn't going to say many decades, but yeah, since forever, basically with some uh, exceptions, but it's been there for a hundred years. Yeah. So, so it's at some point you get tired of government and the numbers go down a little bit and there is a few swing seats, uh, you know, Moncton maybe. And, uh, and then Saint you John. get, yeah. So, uh, it's it's a good question. It's just that f- don't forget that governments can't last forever, and Mr. Mm-hmm. Higgs uh, has been there since 2018. 2018, yeah, 2018, yep. uh, and uh, he he chose his camp, as we said. He he decided not to be this mil- middle of the road guy trying to reach out across the aisle. He decided not to do that. Sometimes it works, but at some point it also wears down on you. Uh, and I think the the uh, the liberal leader, uh, she seems to have 
a good energy and it'll be interesting to see that in a campaign uh, younger women uh, with a big smile and the old mr higgs who looks a little grumpy all the time so uh th- this is going to be a, a, f- a fascinating case of a uh, case study of contrast yep and that election scheduled for october everybody seems to believe it's going to happen in the in the spring so we'll see How about now we move to the quiz? All right. Okay, the quiz. So, so members of our podcast that had access to the bonus episode last week. Uh, Very special episode. Yeah, yeah, it was a good episode. And uh, I, I encourage everybody listening to this to sign up uh, for the Patreon to have all our bonus episodes. I had a quiz uh, where I basically uh, offered Eric four statements of premiers of the past. And he had to find, among those four statements, which one was false. And it was kind of fun. Eric didn't do very well, but it was hard to his defense. But we also had a little fun with it. And I chose last week four premiers from the most populous province. And so I decided to do a repeat. This exact same quiz, exact same format. But I went with the four next most populous provinces. So a premier from Manitoba, Saskatchewan. Uh, Nova Scotia and New Brunswick. So to All win right. the quiz, you have to pick three out of four false statements. There's one false statement for each. And also, when I say false statement, I mean it contains a falsehood. Because I will try sometimes. The best way to lie, a politician will tell you this, the best way to lie is to squeeze a lot of truth into there, right? So this, I'm trying to uh, my best here to confuse yeah. it. How did I do last week? Did I get one or two? You got René Lévesque and you missed the other three. Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> but it was, it was, we had fun. So I figured yes. let's have fun again. Okay, so are you ready, my friend? Let's we go. are going to Manitoba. And I'm going to talk about a premier, the 20th premier of Manitoba. He was premier from 1999 to 2009, Gary mm. Albert Dewar. So here are the four statements. And now, of course, I'm reading because I didn't learn everything by heart. Okay, so. That's fair. Number one. Dewar was elected to the Legislative Assembly of Manitoba in the 1986 provincial election for the Northeast Winnipeg Division of Concordia. He joined the government of Premier Howard Pauly. Pauly? Pauly? Pauly, yeah. Pauly, yeah. He was, giving, he was given several portfolios, such as Minister of Urban Affairs, Minister of Crown Investment, and also Minister of the Liquor Control Act. Number okay. two. I believe that is true, although I'll, I'll reserve judgment in case you right. snuck in something. Like, he, wasn't, he was responsible for the fish, not for the <laughs> Minister of Fisheries, yeah, that's right. Okay, number two. Gary Dewar holds the distinction as being the only NDP premier in Manitoba to ever win a majority of the popular vote in a general election. Dewar's NDP did so in a 2003 general election, winning just over 50% of the vote and, naturally, a majority of seats in the legislature. Hmm, not sure about that. Okay. Number three. Dewar became Manitoba NDP leader in 1988, mere weeks before the April 26, 1988 Manitoba general election, which saw the Manitoba PC win a minority government. The Manitoba Liberals finished second in terms of seat and formed the official opposition. 
Doers NDP won 12 seats and held the balance of power. You think that maybe the NDP and the Liberals could make a deal, but no, Dewar rejected forming, forming a coalition government with the Liberals. Instead, he opted to let Gary Filman's PC form a government, albeit a minority. Okay, that again and, sounds correct, but I'm wondering if you have a little poison pill somewhere in there. And number four, during the 1988 election, Dewar was a strong advocate against the federal government free trade agreement with the United States. Huh. So one, two, three, that, four. Uh, I mean, I, could, I would I think could that re-read. he was. Okay. See, now I think not. Now, see, now I'm not sure because all of them sound true. Well, that's a trick. Um, hmm. <laughs> I mean, I don't think Gary Dewar would have been against the free trade agreement or for it when the NDP uh, federally was. Oh man, did they ever win over fifty percent of the vote though? That one I'm not so sure about. I'm going to say that they didn't win over 50% of the vote in 2003. They won 49.6% of the vote. And so you are correct. The other statements were true. So one for one. All right. You can't uh, win them all if you don't win the first one. All we right. Go- <laughs> You're feeling good right there, right? <laughs> I don't know. Last week, last week it was rough. Okay. So you tied last week's score. Okay. We're going to Saskatchewan. Roy John, R- I always said Romanov, but it's Romano. Yeah. Uh, well, thing is, I think Romano is the English way to say it. I think it, Romanov would be the Ukrainian way to say it because he was Ukrainian. I assume so, yeah. Okay, so 12th Premier of Saskatchewan. He served from 1991 to 2001, but he served as Premier. And during that time, he was actually an MLA for much longer. So, number one, Romano was born in Saskatoon from his parents who were both Ukrainian immigrants. He spent a large portion of his younger years, however, in early adulthood in Ontario, where he attended Queen's University and earned a BA in political science as well as a law degree. Okay. Number two. Romano has a stellar electoral record. Record. In nine general elections from 1967 to 1999, he was elected to the Saskatchewan Legislative Assembly eight times in the ridings of Saskatoon, Riverdale. So nine out of ni- uh, eight out of nine. Sorry. Okay. Number three, from seventy-one to eighty-two, Romano served as deputy premier and attorney general for Saskatchewan. In nineteen eighty-one, Romano, along with Federal Minister of Justice Jean Chrétien, was part of the late-night Kitchen Accord on the Patriation of the Constitution, a deal that was struck without the knowledge of pr- Premier René Lévesque, who had gone to sleep in Hull across the Ottawa River. Okay. All, all of this sounds correct to me so far. And number four, in the 1999 general election, Romano's NDP won a third consecutive election, but he was reduced to a minority. He also lost the popular vote to the, against the Saskatchewan party. He had to rely on the support of liberal members of the legislature to govern. Yes, there were once liberals in Saskatchewan. Yeah, once upon a time. Um... Okay, so I, I do think that they did, but I don't think they lost the popular vote to the SAS party in, in 1999. Um, so I'm going to say that was the false one, because I'm pretty sure that Romano was there for a really long time and that he ran against Blakeney, I believe, when Blakeney won the leadership. And, and so he, he had a long track record. He was definitely part of the Kitchen Accord. And uh, the other thing, I can't remember what it is, but it sounded true enough. So I'm going to say it was that... <laughs> 
they did not lose the popular vote in 1999 to the SAS party. I'm just going to make sure here, because no, you're wrong, but I'm going to just to make sure here. What, um, you're already saying I'm wrong? No, no, I, 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 that's not one, the one that I... Okay, so yes, the... Um, the NDP in 1909 lost the popular vote to the SAS, SAS party. Oh. 39% for the NDP, 40% for the SAS party. The false statement was that Romano, yes, was born in Saskatoon. Yes, from Ukrainian immigrants. But he never spent that long of time in Ontario. Oh. Did not go to Queen's University. I he went to the, uh, the University of Saskatchewan in Saskatoon. Anyway, so that was mm. crap. I figured since you were a Queen's graduate, you would know that, but... Uh, Okay. Yeah, sorry, I wasn't there at the, at the same time as him. <laughs> I wouldn't have been. Okay, All you're right. one for two. Mm. This one was fun. Because sometimes when I do that research, I find several fun facts, and it's hard to put the false one in there. Um, but uh, yeah, so we're going to New Brunswick. After uh, We'll go to Nova Scotia. So New Brunswick. I chose the most obvious one, Richard Bennett Hatfield. Okay. And I really, really wanted to add a line that Bennett was a blood relative of <laughs> R.B. Bennett, like I did last week with W.A.C. Bennett, but I couldn't find it. And I figured it would be too obvious, so I didn't. Yes. That, so. Anyway, although I did get you with that one. <laughs> yeah, you did. I still don't know what the third cousin is, but okay. So, uh, Bennett, uh, Hatfield, sorry. Number one, Hatfield was born in Hartland, New Brunswick, a town his father Herber Hartfield was mayor of. Just before uh, uh, Hatfield's ninth birthday, Hatfield's father became a conservative MP uh, in Victoria Carlton in the 1940 federal election. Okay. The Hatfield that doesn't sound wrong yet. Okay. The Hatfield family had built quite a bit of wealth in the potato industry. After his father's death, it was Hatfield, Hatfield's brother who was managing the potato shipping and processing operation. It was only when the family sold their potato chip plant to Humpty Dumpty that Hatfield decided to become a full-time politician. Okay, I know they were involved with potato chips. I'm not sure if they sold it to Humpty Dumpty or anything, but that's so far. Okay, so far, nothing, no red flags. Okay. Hatfield became interim leader of the New Brunswick PC after the 1967 general election and was elected full-time leader in 1969. He led the party to victory in the 1970 provincial election. He then won majorities in 74, 78, and 82 general elections. In terms of seats, his best election was his last victory in 82 with 39. His worst election was his last one with zero. Again, that all sounds true. Okay, number four. Hatfield's last years in office were plagued with by personal scandal. It's September, I didn't write the year, I think it was 86. I, sorry, I didn't write the year on my script. In September, I think 86, before a flight from Fredericton to Moncton, the RCMP found 35 grams of cocaine in Hatfield's suitcase during a luggage security check. All right. And that is the false statement. He was going that to the, the Queen's, uh, Queen Elizabeth II. Uh, okay, why? Because it was marijuana. It wasn't <laughs> cocaine. You are correct. Yes. <laughs> I think in hindsight, we, we owe an apology to Mr. Hatfield, although he had several. I mean, the, the, it was the, like the, a the, small bag of marijuana in his luggage. That's and, right. And like... Yeah. 
the Spiegel RCMP today. got involved and all this kind of stuff. It seemed a bit over the top. But, you know, that was, I guess, the 80s. But taking Mariona on a plane, it's like, come on, man. Like, really? Yeah, but the queen was there. So <laughs> it was I mean... going to party with the queen. Anyway, <laughs> I thought I could, I could, it was not cocaine. It was, it was marijuana. So anyway. Okay, oh, see, right. good. Okay. It wasn't a little trick. <laughs> so you have one. at least half of those. We'll All see right. how well you do with this last one. I chose, uh, I think, one of the most known premiers of Nova Scotia. Robert Lorne Stanfield. Did oh, we say yes, Stanfield right. or Stanfeld? I heard both. Is Stanfield. It Stanfield. 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 Okay. Yeah. So 17 premier of Nova Scotia from 56 to 67. And also, as you know, from 67 to 76, he was the leader of the federal progressive conservatives. All right. Number one. After earning a Bachelor of Arts degree at Dalhousie University, or as somebody said, Dalhousie University, as my wife said that, it was a joke. Stanfield then studied at Harvard Law School, where he was an honor student near the top of his class, and he was the first Canadian editor of the Harvard Law Review. I don't know anything about any of that, so right now wrong. that could be true or it could be false. <laughs> it's, Number two. Uh, Schrodinger's uh, answer, yeah. That's right. Number two. Robert Stanfield became leader of the Nova Scotia Progressive Conservatives in 48 after the PC's crushing defeat in the 1945 general election, in which the PC's were reduced to zero seat in the Nova Scotia legislature. That year, the Angus Lewis McDonald Nova Scotia Liberals won a majority of seats, and it was the CCF that formed the official opposition, despite the CCF being a distant third in the popular vote. Hmm, okay. There's a lot of stuff in there, huh? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Number three. From the time Stanfield took over the party in 48 to his departure after the 67 Nova Scotia election, the Stanfield PCs grew their seat count in every single general election. That's six elections in a row. 49, 53, 56, 60, 63, and 67. They grew their seat count in every election. Okay. And number four, in 1969, while Stanfield served as leader of the official opposition in Ottawa, he was one of the few PCMPs to vote against the Trudeau government's Bill C-115, which decriminalized homosexuality. Hmm. That I don't know either. Uh... Oh boy, okay, wait. The first thing, I have no idea if he went to Harvard and, and went, so I don't know anything about that. The second one, I, I doesn't make me think that the CCF ever formed the official opposition in 48, but, or, or did they? And then uh, winning lots of, like, one of the reasons why he won the PC leadership in 67 was that he was seen as a winner. So that kind of rings true. And then the thing in 69... I don't know. So I'm going oh, so to say that... There'll be a guess on this one. You have, you have no A little idea. bit of a guess, yeah. Okay. I don't think the CCF formed the official opposition in 48, so I'm going to say that was the false one. In 48, the CCF won two seats and the PCs... Uh, wait, hang on. Suspense. Suspense. Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. Just, just, I mean, let me reread the statement just to make sure we understood each other, Okay. Robert Stanfield became leader of the PCs in 48 after the PCs crushing defeat in 45, mm -hmm. in which the PCs were reduced to zero seat in the Nova Scotia legislature. That year, 
that mean 45. Right, okay. Yeah, the Liberals yeah. won a majority of seats, and it was a CCF that formed the official opposition, despite the CCF being a distant third in the popular vote. Just so we understand, it was the four, I'm talking about the 45 yes, elections. Yes. So sure, sure. You, yeah. Are you still I'm saying I'm still this sticking one? with it. I'm still sticking okay. with it. Yeah. So no, the CCF won two seats and the PCs won zero. So the CCF oh. was the official opposition. Really? They formed the official opposition in 45? Wow. Well, okay. with two seats. No, so. Well, you take it. It's, it's still, yeah. Uh, the false okay, one. Okay, so what was the false one? He was one of the few PC MPs to vote with the Trudeau government oh. to decriminalize homosexuality. Actually, now that I think about it, I should have probably known that. He's yeah. more of a moderate. There were 72 PC MPs. 12 of them decided to vote to uh, uh, to decriminalize homosexuality. Mm. The other 60, you know, they they, yeah. they, they went yeah, on the Yeah, now that you say that, I should have got that. I should have thought about that a bit more. So two out of four. Uh, but that was hard. Improvement. Next time, 100% I mean, improvement. We have what we have left. We have uh, PEI, uh, and, um, uh, um, uh, Newfoundland. There were other premiers and in territories. the big provinces. You could, well, do yeah, but I want to go around. The, I want to go around the country so people say we don't just talk about Quebec and okay, Ontario. Okay, if you so. do territorial premiers, I'm just gonna. I won't uh, throw out my hands. I do not know the territorial premiers. I am sorry to say. So. But but uh, how do you say Dalhousie universe? Dal, Dal, Dalhousie? Do you pronounce Dalhousie. the H? Dalhousie. Okay, because I'm right. yeah. Although in Ottawa, the street that is Dalhousie is pronounced here as Dalhousie. Really? I yeah. I don't know. Okay. Is it the it's same guy? Town. Is it is it a person, Pro- Mr. Dalhousie? Probably. probably. I can't imagine Dalhousie. <laughs> there was tons of Dalhousies. <laughs> Doesn't seem like the most common name. Anyway. Oh well. So again, that was a lot of research. I'm sorry. I, I felt like my English was tired. I, I was difficulty reading uh, today, but uh, I hope people uh, had fun uh, learning about this. But uh, yeah, no. I mean, Stanfield looked like he was a really good student. Um, and hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, again, a winner. I mean, I checked. He went from zero seat to eight, and then eight to twelve in fifty-three, and then twelve to twenty-four. And then 24 to 27, and then 27 to 39, and his last election, 39 to 40, and then months after he went to the federal progressive conservatives to increase your seat. And then I think the PCs lost. The, and then I think the PCs lost the next election. Well, they, they didn't. Him. They never beat Trudeau, right? Well, they, they did uh, with. Uh, no, in, in Nova Scotia, I think they lost the next election. Uh, but, uh yeah, but yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So every, every government so. comes to an end at some point. So. Do you remember when we said the CEQ? What could the CEQ? Who will take down the CEQ? Oh, yeah. CEQ is invincible. <laughs> uh, no, Proud invincible. moment. Proud moment for us. <laughs> All right. Let's do the number of the week. Okay. Uh, number of the week uh, for me. Um, I mean... It would be the 32%. We mentioned it, but I want to stress it again. The 32% for the OLP and the Palace data poll. Mm. We, I'm, not, I'm not doubting what Palace just measured. It's just we have to wait before we say, okay, the, the, the race for second is done. I am not ready to say the race for second is done, but it looks like the liberals have the edge over the NDP because there's no data that we have right now. That shows the NDP has much potential for growth, but I, I, I prefer to go on the on the safe side, on a prudent side, uh, because uh, 
It'll take a lot to take down the PC. The PC brand in Ontario is so strong. So we'll see. What about you? Okay, my number of the week is 59, 59%. So in the Polaro poll, it asked uh, Albertans whether they would consider voting for the Alberta NDP, Hmm. regardless of who the leader is or depending on who the leader is. So it found that 59% of Albertans said that they would consider voting for the NDP, 25% 25% of them said it didn't matter who the leader would be, Thirty and another 34 said it would depend on who the leader is. So 59% for a party that got, uh, I think it was 44%, 44 in the last election. Yeah, That shows that there is the potential for the NDP to win a majority of the vote in Alberta. But I also just find it interesting that the floor, 25%, is so much higher than what it once was for the yeah. Alberta NDP. Before Rachel Notley came in, in I think the six elections, before the NDP would get... Nine percent, ten percent, eight percent. Now their floor is twenty five percent. So it shows how much has changed in that province and for that party. So you're never going to get, you're never going to hit your ceiling. <laughs> never going to get everybody because if That's right. that thirty four percent said it depends on the leader, that means some of them will not like who the leader is. Mm-hmm. But just an interesting number that the Alberta NDP ceiling and its floor is so much different than when it was just less than just ten years ago. Regarding that, just be, I know we have to go, but just regarding that, uh, have you heard some people in the NDP saying that perhaps they should rebrand? You've heard about this, right? That yeah, the Alberta yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, okay. Just look at the uh, BC Liberals. Like, just before you think that you would do better <laughs> under another brand, just perhaps do some polling and research. Because if you think the federal NDP is dragging you down and the NDP name is hurting you, Look at the PC liberals, because rebranding is not easy, uh, and it's sometimes very ugly. So I'm just saying, think about that. And when you're much, and when your brand is polling better than the federal brand, maybe don't assume that uh, people are <laughs> aren't able to separate the two. That's right. Jagmeet oh, Singh well. and the NDP not polling at forty percent plus with a fifty nine percent ceiling in Alberta. No. Oh no 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 not no, even no, close no. not even half that. So okay no. All right, so that'll be it for this week's episode of the numbers. As always, you can head to our uh, Patreon page at thenumberspod.ca. This is where we put our bonus episodes every second week, where you get early access to our episodes on Thursdays rather than Fridays, and where you can participate in our Discord, which is a uh, a discussion forum where people have been sharing lots of stuff. It's it's now my favorite social media platform. Oh, really? Me too. Yeah. That's where I'm spending more time of my day than anywhere else. So uh, you can do that at thenumberspod.ca. And then you can also uh, watch and listen to our French language episodes, Les Chiffres. Philippe, thanks very much for uh, this week. And uh, we'll speak again next week. That'll be for our patrons-only episode. And so I hope you have a good weekend and talk to you in seven days. Merci beaucoup, Eric. Thank you, everybody. Have a great week.